There is a song on a CD that is well hidden in an unpacked box in Richmond Hill's basement. And I wanted to play it for you this evening, but I will describe it instead. This song entitled Build a Name is based on the story of the Tower of Babel. It begins simply with one voice singing, build a name, build a name, bit by bit, stone by stone, we will make it our own. Build a name, build a name. A second voice joins in singing the same words, then a third, then a fourth. Finally, in the background, other voices chime in, some in English, some in other languages, an army of voices spouting quotes from famous philosophers, religious leaders, scientists, thousands of years of accumulated knowledge. However, the result is not wisdom or enlightenment. It is a cacophony of chaos and confusion. It is a musical image of human arrogance, pride, and self-centeredness. These very human problems of vanity, ambition, and other vices are as old as time and as current as the daily news. It's a common insight and accusation that those who would lead often seek their own benefit and glory rather than the benefit of others. Wherever we look, whether it be in government, business, charity, higher education, or the church, we see it. And we see it in the disciples in this evening's gospel text. In another Mark and account, we hear of the disciples arguing among themselves over who is the greatest, and Jesus responds by placing a little child in their midst. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. But the disciples don't get it. And in this story, the overall picture is still the same. Two disciples playing teacher's pets, needing desperately to be affirmed as their teacher's favorites, the top disciples wanting to bask in reflected glory. The other disciples are furious with this, most likely because they had the same hopes but haven't had the gall to actually ask for it, all wanting to build a name for themselves for posterity. Jesus responds, you still don't get it. He has just told them very clearly that he is about to be arrested, beaten, and killed, but the disciples only hear his words about resurrection and final glory, still not realizing that what Jesus and they will have to go through to get there. This competitive pride begins with two voices, then spreads to angry babbling among all 12, the Tower of Babel, all over again. But wait, you might say, what's so wrong with striving to be a leader, to emulate your teacher? 
Aren't we allowed to set our personal career goals high? Isn't it true that God gives us each gifts and rejoices when we use them to their fullest? Aren't we permitted to celebrate and feel good about ourselves when we work hard and to receive congratulations and admiration from others? After all, Jesus doesn't say that we don't need leaders. We do need leaders and good ones. I heard of a group recently that structured itself in a completely egalitarian way. They were not to elect leaders. There would be no leaders. Everyone in the community would have an equal voice and all decisions would be made by consensus. Well, this attempt at Kumbaya governance didn't last very long. A few people stepped forward and began driving all of the decisions with others being put down and ignored and the majority just keeping their heads down and hoping for the best. Human beings are such that when they form a group for whatever purpose, leaders will emerge even in the least hierarchical, flattest structures. The only question then is whether these leaders will work for the good of others or work to promote their own well-being and their own agendas at the expense of others. Jesus says that we will have leaders, that God has prepared a place for leaders who will be at the head of the table. But a good leader will give his or her attention and care to others' well-being and their gifts. A good leader will exhibit humility. At Richmond Hill, the fifth rule of our rule of life, based on the rule of Benedict, is humility. Our culture generally understands humility to be a negative quality, certainly not to be desired in a strong, assertive leader. The word for many conjures up a picture of a weak, insipid man or woman who is trembling in his or her boots, eyes down at the ground, hesitant to offer an opinion or even speak unless spoken to. This is not Benedict's understanding of humility, neither is it Richmond Hill's. Humility in this community is defined as living one's life in perspective and a commitment to assess and honor one's own gifts and those of others. A humble leader has a realistic knowledge of his own gifts. He knows where there is room for improvement, but he also claims his talents. He doesn't hide them, but actively seeks ways to use them in service of God and others. But the second part of humility's definition is what truly makes the difference between a poor, self-centered leader and a good servant leader. A servant leader also assesses and honors the gifts of others. She respects those who she serves, no matter how outwardly unremarkable they may seem. 
A servant leader sees all others as human beings called by God to contribute to kingdom work in their own unique ways and supports them in their callings. But how do you recognize a servant leader when you see one? I personally think you can see it in their eyes. Most of us have had the experience of being in conversation with someone where you know you are not being seen or heard. The person may have a carefully plastered smile on her face and her head may be nodding up and down, but this person's eyes have a faraway look, almost as if she is looking past your left ear at the wall behind you, almost as if he is thinking ahead to his next meeting or phone call or to-do list that he needs to complete by the end of the day. They say, uh-huh, 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 oh really, a lot. We've all been there, and truthfully, we've all probably been the person in a hurry, too. Culture has taught us well. Good servant leaders truly pay attention to the people around them and what they have to say. They know that God speaks and works through all kinds of people. They ask questions like, what is God doing with these people at this moment, in this room, these people placed in my care? What are their needs? Where are their growing edges? How can I support them? How can I respect them, value them, and help them to be what God has called them to be? Servant leaders listen carefully and prayerfully and respond carefully and prayerfully to others around them. They are not often a cloud or figuring out if this person can be useful to them in maintaining their legacy or fulfilling their monthly goals or completing their latest project. They are not deciding if this person is of value to them. It is enough that they are of value to God. What does a servant leader look like? Imagine an orchestra director. The director holds and hears the big picture. He listens to all of the individual musicians or all of the various instruments as their voices mix and mingle. The director knows when the flute needs to be louder and the violin softer, when the entire ensemble needs to play quietly and when it needs to pull out all the stops. All of this is in service to those around him, the members of the audience as they are moved spiritually and emotionally, the individual musicians as they seek to fulfill their musical vocations, doing their part to contribute to the whole, in service to humanity as he works with others to produce something of true beauty in what can be a harsh world. Music can bring us into the presence of God more deeply than a thousand well-prepared sermons. I've seen this happen over and over again at Richmond Hills Taizai services. Thank you, Jim. I could end here. I'll end soon. But 
There are rewards to serving others, as you well know. The leader is provided ample opportunity to grow as well. But there is the cup, and there is the baptism. And Jesus, in the end, will not let his disciples forget that these two are part of what it means to be a leader. Don't forget that Jesus, the servant leader who washed the disciples' feet, who saw all others as God sees them, who loved all others with God's love, was dismissed, attacked, falsely accused, arrested, mocked, spit upon, beaten, and finally executed as a traitor. Resurrection and glory came after that. But, as Lisa would say, that's another sermon for another day. For now, though, I invite you, servants of the servant leader, to pay attention to the person in front of you. God is speaking through every person in every daily event, giving you guidance about next steps and new directions. Pray that you may learn to love more deeply, especially those who are difficult to love, especially those who may not return your concern with like concern, but with attacks and judgment. Thanks be to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to drink the cup that Jesus drank and be baptized by fire, as was our Lord. And thanks be to God who is faithful, who brings victory, resurrection, and yes, in the end, glory. Glory, glory. Amen. Amen.